All right, well, good morning. Three Circle Church, all of our campuses joining us right now and all those joining us online. It's great to have you guys on this Memorial Day weekend with us. We are bringing to a close, to a finale, our Gideon series. And uh, today, if you're new with us, man, we're really glad you're here. Let me give you a little recap and get us to where we are today so we can bring the Gideon series to a close. I always kind of hate leaving behind these characters because I learned so much from them. So the first thing to keep in mind is that the point of the Gideon series was not for us to learn about Gideon, but for us to primarily learn about God because God never changes. Everything else does. And so we learn about how God deals with us and how he works in our lives through looking at Gideon's story, Gideon's narrative, Gideon's own life. And so that's been very helpful to us. Gideon is in the book of Judges in your Bible. It is right after the conquest of the, the, the beginning part of the promised land from Joshua in his time. And it's before King David and all the kings. So there's not a king in Israel yet. And these judges were these leaders that God had to raise up to keep moving Israel forward because they kept getting stuck. They were supposed to run all of these other nations out of the promised land because all of those other nations worshiped false gods. And God needed his nation, wanted his nation to stay pure and be able to show the world who he was. And that wasn't going to happen if they continued to fall into false worship. So he wanted all of these outside influences run out of town and for them to take the promised land. He even gave them the map. Here's how far you go. And they stopped. And when they stopped, the bullies known as the Midianites and some others started fighting back against the Israelites. They ran them up into the hills. And the Midianites were the big bad dudes on the block. They had the best weapons. They had the best fighters. And they're coming for the Israelites. And the Israelites, when Gideon comes on the scene as one of these judges, leaders, when God raises him up, the Midianites are stealing the Israelites' food. The Israelites are starving all over the region because they can't grow enough food. The, the Midianites, with their big army, keeps taking their food. And it's a bad situation. Not only that, even worse, the Israelites have begun to worship the same false god that the Midianites worship, and that is Baal. They've got little statues of Baal everywhere. So we, we remember a few weeks ago when we started this series, God sees Gideon and he's just as scared as everyone else. Don't forget that. Gideon, there's nothing heroic about him, really. And I think that's why we like him, because we go, ooh, I can relate to him. Because some of the guys in the Old Testament, it's a little hard to relate to them. They're so heroic, like Joseph. And, and you know, I mean, Joseph was amazing. And then Elijah I mean, you know, we try to relate to Elijah, but hello, calling down fire out of heaven, you know, when, any of you done that lately? That's hard. But we see Gideon and he's scared and he's nervous and he's insecure. We're like, that's our man. And we see ourselves in Gideon. Gideon keeps showing us like a mirror, these things in ourselves. And he shows us how patient God is with him, right? And he keeps asking, God says, you're my man. You're going to lead Israel forward. He's like, I don't think I'm your man. And for chapter after chapter, Gideon continues to ask God to reassure him, and he does. He even has that wacky way of praying where he puts out a fleece and asks God to do these tricks. And God acquiesces kindly to show him the way, to give him the encouragement he needs. So much grace, so much kindness. And I think all of us throughout the series, we keep going, that is how good. How many of you have looked at it and said, yes, that's how God's been with me, right? Good and kind and, and patient. We've seen all of that. And then last week, we saw the battle. God intentionally takes Gideon's army, which wasn't strong to begin with, 32,000 guys, he takes them down to 300 men against a 100,000-plus man army with the best weapons, the Midianites. And, and so when we realize that, that 
Gideon's army was that small, we all know that he could have never won that battle, right? Even though these 300 were elite, those 300 men cannot win that battle. So we saw last week how God won the battle, right? Basically, it's like, hey, walk out on the hill in the middle of the night. Take your flashlights in a jar. And when I tell you to, bust open the jar and play your trumpet. And that was it. And it's like Gideon didn't even have to fight really. And what happened is when all that light hit the hill, the Midianites freaked out and they ran for their lives. And it's the middle of the night, so they've got their swords and they're, they're killing each other at first. And then they just run. And, and do you remember why? Because sovereignly God had made the Midianites, literally they were dreaming about Gideon before he ever came over the hill. He got to overhear it. God had placed in those hearts of those 100,000 plus men a fear of this man, Gideon. So when the Israelites stand on the hill and shout, we're here in the name of Gideon, the Midianites who were superstitious, that was their biggest weakness, they run for their lives. But we all know Gideon couldn't have won that battle. It's not like he's Braveheart. We're not talking about gladiator. Oh, you're not entertained. We don't have any of that going on, right? He could have never won that battle. And yet what we're going to see today in the closing chapters that a lot of people never talk about with Gideon. If you grew up in church and you had the Gideon story, it was always one of my favorites. You never heard this part because today Gideon in his final chapters is going to show us something that's also in us that we're not going to want to see. We're kind of comfortable with the fears and insecurities because we're all there, but there's something that Gideon is going to develop in his life and we're going to see it today and he's going to show it to us and we're not going to want to see it because no one wants to admit they've got this in their lives. But it may be the most important thing Gideon's going to show you. Today, Gideon may teach you the most important lesson he's going to teach you. Now, to get us set up for this, let's talk about sports for a minute if you're okay with it. Uh, now, even if you don't like football, if you've lived in America over the past 20 years, you know that the greatest NFL dynasty probably of all time happened over the past 20 years. And it's the New England Patriots. And whether you like them or not, these guys won over and over again. And they won Super Bowl after Super Bowl. And when they weren't winning the Super Bowl, they were coming one play away from winning the Super Bowl. And it just seemed like they were the team every year, year after year. And we all know that when you think of the New England Patriots winning all those Super Bowls, there's one player you think of, right? There's one guy you think of, he comes to mind every time. When you think of the New England Patriots and their dynasty, you think of this guy right here, right? Oh, you don't? Oh, you don't know who that is? Oh, that is Adrian Clem. Adrian Clem was on those Super Bowl teams. He's got the rings. But you haven't heard of him, have you? You don't think of him. You want to know why? Because he was sitting on the bench. He was the backup guard. He was drafted, but he wasn't good enough to get a starting position. And so he didn't play in those Super Bowls, but, but he was a good backup. And if someone would have went down, Adrian was ready. But you know what? Adrian has the rings. If you go to his house today, I guarantee you, and if I were Adrian, I'd do it too. I'd be like, hey, I'm a Super Bowl winner. I'd show you the ring. You want to see the rings? Show you the pictures. He had the confetti dropping on him as well. He was out there. There's pictures of him on the sideline going... But he didn't make a block and he didn't make a tackle and he didn't make a run and he didn't make a touchdown and he didn't throw a pass. So for Adrian to go around in life acting like he won those Super Bowls, 
would be ridiculous, right? Because he, he didn't. He was there, but he didn't. Because we all know when you think about the New England Patriots, you think about this guy, right? This guy's the one, yeah, you think of Brady. He's the one that's going to get the statue. He threw the, he threw the passes. He made the big comeback. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of proving now, Belichick, you know, without Brady, it hasn't been so good. So, like, yeah, he was the guy. Okay, so he needed a good coach, but hello, he threw the ball. And so for Adrian, our boy Adrian, he, he can't brag too much because he was just on the team. And, and Adrian going around acting like he won all those Super Bowls would be like Gideon acting like he won that battle. He didn't win that battle. He was never going to win that battle. He could not win that battle. And yet we're going to see today Gideon starts acting like he won the battle. He's going to act like he's the man. And it's not going to be good. Let's check it out. Judges 8, 4 through 9. It says, and Gideon came, so they're chasing the Midianite army. The Midianite army thinks... They think a million man army is coming down upon them. They're superstitious. They think they're running for their lives. So Gideon came to the Jordan and he crossed over. He and the 300 men who were with him, they were exhausted yet pursuing. I love that about those 300 men. They were worn out, but they would not stop. Verse 5. So they come to a town called Sukkoth. Now, Sukkoth, the Sukkothians, are a part of the world of Israel and they are going to benefit from the Midianites being run out of town. They have no idea what's happening. Like 100,000 man army plus runs by them. They see them and here comes 300 dudes with Gideon. Like what's going on here? And Gideon comes up to the people of Sukkoth and he does something that is absolutely appropriate in the ancient world. He says, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me. They're exhausted and I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna these are the two kings of Midian. So basically, I'm trying to get these guys out of town. There's nothing wrong with what he's just done. That is ancient custom. Watch this. In the ancient world, if your town is going to benefit from an army winning a battle, then, then it's totally customary for the leader of that army to say, I need you to help us. We're helping you. You help us. Okay? But the people of Sukkoth are caught off guard, understandably so. The officials of Sukkoth said... Well, are the hands of Zeba and Zomuna already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? Now, why would they act like that? Well, don't forget, what's happening to all the people because of the Midianites? They're starving. The Midianites are robbing these people. So whatever bread they have is keeping them alive. And oh, by the way, they're probably going, uh, pretty soon that 100,000 man army is going to figure out or just 300 of y'all. They don't know the story. They don't know about the dream sequence. They don't know that God has set it all up. So you would think, right? Wouldn't you think that Gideon, who has been shown so much patience and so much kindness by God, wouldn't you think Gideon, who it took like months to get over being afraid and scared and God just kept working with him, wouldn't you think Gideon would be patient? He'd be kind. He would sit down with the Sakathians and talk to them and say, hey, hey, I get where you're coming from, but let me tell you the story. Surely that's what Gideon is going to do when the Sakathians don't want to give him the bread. Well, verse 7. So Gideon said, well then. You know, most things don't start off well when it starts well. Well then. That's a different tone. Can you hear it? That does not sound like the Gideon of just a few chapters ago. What has changed? Well then. Look what he says. Well then. When the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian, into my hand, 
I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there, he went to Peniel, the next town. And I want you to see what the Bible says here. He spoke to them in the same way. That's not talking about the content of what he said. It's talking about how he said it. The Bible wants you to know he's talking a new way and people aren't hearing it. They don't like it. The whatever way he spoke to Sukkoth, they were like, well, it looks like you've already won the battle. Do we really have to give you the food that's keeping us alive? And then he comes to the next town, Peniel, and they feel the same way. They're like, "Mm, I don't know. Have you ever said to someone, it's not what you said to me, it's how you said it? Oh, yeah. That's what's going on here. The Bible wants you to know he's speaking in a way that is not helpful at all. And the men of Peniel answered him the same way the Sakoth people did. So he says to the men of Peniel, when I come again in peace, I'm going to break down your tower. Their tower was this thing that they, their little town, had built so that they could watch over what's going on around them. It was protection. And they worked hard and spent a lot of money on it. And Gideon's like, you know what? Peniel, when I get back, I'm tearing down your tower. And oh, you Sakothians, I come back taking you down to the briar patch. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Gideon is using ancient custom law during military times, like habeas corpus in the Civil War, where Lincoln took these incredible measures to, to kind of set aside some law so, because it was such a unique time, and people have argued whether that was right or not. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. And in, ancient, in the ancient world, number one, an army that's doing work that benefits a town has every right in the ancient world to look at that town and go, help me, we need some food. The problem was it was a unique situation and the people of Israel were starving. So to give him bread for his big army could end up like my babies don't eat that day in Sakoth and Pinot. So you got to, and then you've got a leader of this army who has been shown so much patience, but he's unwilling to give any patience to them. Do you see it? He has no room for them to think about it. No room for them to talk. If they don't immediately acquiesce to his needs, he's ready to watch this. Do the harshest thing allowed by ancient custom for him to do. Now, what he comes up with is the custom. In the ancient world, if a town decided to not help an army, and that army does indeed go win a battle that benefits that town, you get to come back, get their leaders, and here's what they do. They go out into the woods, and they create a bed of thorns and briars. They tie your hands over your head and your feet on the other end, and then they drag you back and forth in front of the whole town across that. Sounds fun, right? It will scar you for life. It was not meant to kill you. It was meant to humiliate you, cause you excruciating pain, and mark you for the rest of your life that you didn't help that army. But that was in an extreme circumstance. What Gideon does, Gideon now, Mr. Hee-Haw Farm Boy just a month ago, okay? He's Huckleberry Finn a month ago, but now suddenly he's a warrior, Suddenly he's, he's William Wallace now. He's the man. He hasn't done anything. God won that battle, not him. He's still not a military guy. He's just strutting around like he is one. He's a peacock, all feathers, no bite. (laughs) But for the men of Sakoth and the men of Peniel, he will take every bit of punitive action the ancient world allows him to put it on them. And what you see here is a classic case of what happens when pride sneaks into a person's life. You will begin to have very high expectations of everyone around you, but very low expectations of yourself. You see it? 
and we don't want to see it. We're like, oh man, because let me tell you what, I've been around ministry long enough and I've seen people will admit to everything you can imagine. They'll admit to uh, lying and thievery and adultery and all kinds of addictions. They'll admit to all that stuff. But the one thing people don't want to admit to is being prideful. Did you know that? Humans don't like to admit that they're prideful. It is a sneaky, sneaky thing. See, Gideon began reverting back to doing things his way instead of God's way. That's what's happening here. Instead of doing things God's way, he could have talked to the people of Sukkoth and helped them understand. He could have been kind to the people of Pinyon and said, hey, I get it, guys. I, too, have been afraid. I, too, didn't trust God in the beginning. But let me explain to you what's going on here. We're going to win this battle. We're all going to be better for it. But instead of doing that, he says, you know what? I'll be back for you. And, oh, I'll be back for you. And wouldn't you think after two towns reacted the same way, he might would go, huh, maybe it's me. You know, when people tell me, they're like, I've, I've been in four different jobs and I've had four bad bosses every time. I always think to myself, <clears throat> there's one common denominator here. After a while, you might want to look around. I think the horse is in your own stable. I think you're the issue. And see, Gideon, the Bible says, he keeps talking to these people the same way and they, they have this reaction and it's because he's prideful. He's prideful. He's let pride sneak in. Gideon received grace from God in the midst of his doubt. He refuses to show that to anyone else. It, by the way, you may be going, well, I see it. I see that, but how does this apply to my life? I mean, I live in a modern world. It's not like the Midianites are coming across Mobile Bay to get us this afternoon. How do I apply this to my life? Well, let me tell you what. Pride will sneak into your life just like it did Gideon's. It'll sneak into your marriage. If you have higher expectations of your spouse than you do yourself, you want your spouse to get it right all the time, say it right all the time, think it right all the time, but you, you have tons of grace for yourself, well, now that's a problem. It'll kill a marriage, by the way, over time. It really is not a good situation. You know how this works. It's like in a marriage, if your spouse says something that you don't like and it hurts you, you will say to them accusatorily, you'll say, you meant that, you meant that. And if they say, no, you're taking it wrong. I didn't mean it that way. No, no, no. You meant it. I know you meant it. But then if you say something that hurts your spouse's feelings and they call you on it, you will say to them, oh, I didn't mean it that way. You're taking me wrong. See, you extend no grace, but demand tons of it. Pride is always at the root of that. I know it's uncomfortable, right? Because we don't want to see that in our lives. But Gideon's going to show us, yep, it can sneak in. So look how fast it snuck in to his life. So he goes and runs the Midianites out of town. And you'd think after a, after a few days, maybe he cools off and he goes, you know what? God's been gracious with me. I don't need to be that way towards the people of Sakoth. Judges 8, 15 through 21. So he comes to the men of Sakoth. This is after all the battles. And he said, behold, Zeba and Zelmuna, about whom you taunted me. Do you hear how he's acting? The brother's keeping score. He comes back. He's like, remember, remember, boys, what you said? Well, now he's captured them. He has the two kings of Midian in his hands. He says, well, you should have given me men when our men were exhausted. So he took the elders of the city. He took thorns of the wilderness, briars, and with them taught the men of Sukkoth a lesson. And I just explained to you what he did. Then he went to Peniel. He kept score on everybody. And he broke down their tower and he killed the men of the city. Then he said to the Midianite kings that he had captured Zeba and Zelmuna, 
He says, where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? And they said, well, as you are, so were they. Every one of them looked like the son of a king. And he said, those were my brothers. They were the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he looks at Jether, his firstborn. Rise and kill them, he says. But the young man, which denotes that he was probably a teenager, would not draw his sword for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Listen to what Gideon's doing. So Gideon is trying to get his own son to humiliate these kings by killing them as a boy. So Zeba and Zelmunna, the Midian kings, they look at him and say, why don't you rise yourself and fall upon us? For as a man is, so is his strength. In other words, these two Midianite guys are like, you want to humiliate us by having your teenage boy kill us? Why don't you be a man and do it yourself? And he does. Now this is brutal ancient warfare, but I want you to be able to look between the lines of this Braveheart episode we got going here and see the lessons. Gideon's not the same guy he was just days before. He's not humble. He's arrogant. He treats people horrifically, including his own son. How traumatic is it? What is he doing psychologically to his kid? He's like, you kill him. What he's doing is showing off. He's like, I won't even dirty my sword with you two guys. Here, son, you go do it. And the kid's like, like this is humiliating for everyone. Even the two Midianite kings, they're horrible guys. They're the guys that have been beaten up on Israel. They deserve to be executed by ancient law. But even they're like, kind of man are you? The Midianites. They're like, I mean, they call him out. They're like, won't you be a man and do it yourself? Ooh. Gideon is prideful when he's got no reason to be. He is arrogant and he's got no reason to be. He didn't beat the Midianites. God did. He didn't have a chance to beat them. God beat them. And yet the battle for humility is something that he is losing. He's losing it. Not only does the Bible say he killed the two kings, but you'll notice a little detail if you look there in your handout. He took the ornaments off of their camels. The camels in that day would have been like the governmental black Tahoes today. <laughs> Tinted windshields. And theirs had all these very expensive ornaments all over them. Gideon took those for himself. He's like, and I'll have that. Took all those ornaments, put them in his own keeping. Little things to see, look out for them. They're little signs. He's losing the battle for humility and that means pride is coming in. And pride, my friends, is the Trojan horse that attacks every one of us from inside. It sneaks up on us. Pride is the most dangerous of human traits. By the way, pride is what sends people eventually to hell. Did you know that? Because pride says, I don't need God. I can do this myself. Pride is at the heart of it. Pride is what brought Satan down. It's what brings humans down. And yet... It's very hard to detect early on. It seems like pride comes out like it is in Gideon before you see it. Pride is like a cancer that grows for years and you don't know it's there. Let me give you a few things to watch out for, for pride. You can write these in the margins if you want. Because none of us want to admit it, but we all, let, let me tell you, every one of us have our moments. And you either kill it or you let it grow. It's like weeds. It'll keep growing if you don't kill it and throw some Roundup on it. So here we go. Number one, watch out for this. Do you have an overly critical spirit? You've got, the, you've got a very powerful radar. You can see everything wrong with everybody else. You walk into a room and you're like, burp, 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 burp. your little radar's going off. You can tell everyone their problems. You just don't see any of your own. You don't have a mirror. You just have binoculars. But you never look at your own life. Watch out. That is pride. That is the beginnings of pride. It can become brutal in your life. Here's another one. Are you just harsh? 
You're a harsh person. When you do have to call people out, you do it the hardest way you can find. That's Gideon. Gideon did not have to do any of that. The ancient law said he could, but it didn't say he had to. And yet with his own friends in Sakoth and Peniel, he takes the hardest, he's the hardest he can be on them instead of choosing the path of grace. Here's another one. Just being fake about things, you care more about outward appearance than what the reality of your heart is. That is pride. When pride says, hey, I may be a mess in here, but no one else is going to know it. I'm going to look the part. That's Gideon. He's strutting around like he's, you know, a gladiator all of a sudden. It's like, dude, go back to making you sweet potatoes. Like, that's what you are. We all know who you are. We've all been reading your story. And suddenly, he's just strutting around. He's the great winner of the battle against the Midianites. And he does not win that battle at all unless God has this big plan. And then finally, and this is, this is my biggest telltale for pride in my life. And you better believe I deal with it because I'm a human. If you're breathing, you deal with pride. Just letting you know. If you walk out of here today and go, I really don't deal with pride. I don't even need words for that one. It's like the person that says, I am just so humble. No, you're not. No, you just messed that up right there. Okay. Here's my number one radar that goes off in my life. What are you defensive about? You're probably prideful about it. The thing that'll get you defensive. Look at Gideon. What makes him mad? He wants to be seen as a winner. He never has been. And the first two towns he comes to that don't acquiesce to his wishes immediately, that don't bow down before him, he takes the harshest route possible to teach them a lesson. He is defensive about this new identity he has. He likes being a winner. He likes people thinking he's bad to the bone. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's really not. What are you defensive about? What gets you all riled up? That's a point of pride. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 some of the most, if I could tell you two verses in the Bible that could save your marriage and save your parenting and save your family and save your friendships, I'm about to read them to you right here. This is unbelievably powerful. You ready? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You apply that verse today. That is a pride killer and it's a marriage fertilizer. You put this on the tomato garden of your marriage and that thing's going to explode. This will change your life. Those verses you apply. Not if you just read them and go, hmm, that's nice. No, no, you got to breathe them in. You got to apply them in your life and it will change your relationships. Gideon, unfortunately, didn't do that at this point. And what you're going to see now is very tricky. Pride is very sneaky. And if you don't look closely, you won't see his pride here. You'll, in fact, think he's heroic for a moment. But don't miss the reality. Watch this. So after all the battles are over, and after he teaches these two towns a lesson, well, what are they going to do now? Well, the Israelites are looking for someone to lead them, and he's the hero of the moment. So it says, the men of Israel, verse 22, say to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson also. Watch this. For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. That'd be like us looking at our old boy, Adrian Clem, and saying, man, you were awesome in those Super Bowls. <laughs> He's like, I was on the bench. I was keeping it warm for Brady. 
That's what happens here. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that Gideon won that battle. But notice what he says. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. To which, if you're not careful, you'll go, oh, good Gideon, that was awesome. Look, there he is. That's good Gideon. Notice what he did not do. He did not correct them. It looks great, but inside he does not say, I didn't win that battle. He's perfectly fine with everybody thinking he's the man. He's kind of like, hey, the Lord's going to rule over you, but I was pretty awesome, wasn't I? That's what you get in here. He never changed. He's like, yep, yep. Yeah, I won the battle, but the Lord ruled over you. That's what pride does. He tries to keep this appearance, but stuff's going on in his heart that's not good. So Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. The Lord rule over you. And then he said to them, but here we go. Let me make a request of you. Every one of you, if you will, give me the earrings from his spoil. See, all of the Midianites, since they were Ishmaelites, they had golden earrings, every one of them. And, he, and, and they all said, we will do that for you. And they spread out a cloak and everyone put those earrings on their, of their spoil to give to him. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, massive, beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian. Notice the Bible did not miss that he took that off those camels. And the collars which were also ornate and gold and jeweled around the necks of their camels. And what did he do with it? Gideon made an ephod of himself. And he put it in his city in Oprah, and all of Israel, I love how the Bible uses language, all of Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. What happened here? What, what did he do? Gideon made a little trophy for himself. He's like, look, it's all about, it's all about God. But y'all bring me that gold. I got a little something I'm going to do with it. He builds a little ephod for himself. And it says it becomes a snare. It becomes like a, remember, the battle was famous, so it becomes like a tourist attraction. Like for years and years, I'm sure, the local elementary schools, even from Sakoff and Pinel, they would take, you know, field trips over to Gideon's house just to see the ephod. Maybe take pictures by it, put it on Facebook. Hashtag blessed. You know, people would go and touch it. People wanted to see that ephod. It became a snare. You know, the Bible says that Israel basically worshipped it like weird. This thing he made, it was pride. The idol breaker had become the idol maker. How about that? See how fast it can happen? If we're not careful, pride will sneak up on us and it'll surprise us how we can act and how we can react to our kids, to our families. When we let pride grow, it'll change us. Gideon didn't start out this way. He didn't mean to end up here. In fact, the Bible's very gracious to Gideon. In the end, he's gonna end up in the hall of faith. He's in heaven. When you get to heaven, if you want to, you can go to the local golden Starbucks and have a cup of coffee and hear the whole story from Gideon. He's there. The Bible... But the Bible's not going to hold up and not tell you his weaknesses. And he dealt with the same stuff we deal with. And before he knew it, he had become an arrogant, prideful man. And he had no reason to be. Another battle Gideon's losing at this point is just for righteousness. He's becoming a, he's sinful. That making an ephod about himself and glorifying himself, it's sinful. And it's not helping. And you're going to see that it's going to cut the teeth out of his leadership. Instead of being a transformative leader for Israel, he becomes a temporary relief 
and that's it. He's like Tylenol for Israel instead of a cure. He just gets the Midianites out of town long enough to give them a breath. And when he dies, they're going to go right back to their old ways. And the Bible tells us we should pursue righteousness. In 1 Timothy, it says, for you, man of God, flee pride, flee those things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And what this all does is we close out Gideon. Let me just help you here. Everyone in the Old Testament, as great as they are in their best moments, Gideon included, Gideon falls short. He does not transform Israel. He just placates their pain for a moment. So what this means is Gideon had faults. Gideon fell short, like we all do. And in the end, Gideon is pointing to someone who will come, who will be greater than him. And David's going to point to him, and Solomon's going to point to him, and Joseph points to him, and Elijah points to him. Jesus is the greater Gideon. Because Jesus doesn't fight one great battle that temporarily relieves his people. Jesus fights the great battle, wins it for all time. And he does not only win the battle against the enemy, he also wins the battle inside of us. And those whom Jesus brings victory for, he brings victory in. He literally transforms us. We're not the same anymore under his leadership. Gideon couldn't do that. Gideon didn't change Israel a bit. He just made them happy for a little while, filled their bellies for a little while. Because Judges 8.33 says, as soon as Gideon died... The people of Israel turned again and they whored after the Baals and Belbereth, their God. The people of God, here was their problem, they did not remember the Lord. Their God who had delivered them. They didn't remember. You want me to tell you what kills pride? Remembering. You know what would have killed Gideon's pride? Remembering who really won that battle. Remembering what God had done. You know what would have kept Gideon from being so cruel to the Sakoth people and to the Peniel people? If he would have remembered how kind God had been to him. You follow me? Remembering is a pride killer. Gideon and Israel serve as a reminder that we must strive to remember what God has done for us. And how did Jesus tell us to remember? Because we can be prideful too. And you know what will kill pride in our lives? Remembering. And what did Jesus establish for us to remember over and over again? You know the greatest pride killer in Christianity? The Lord's Supper. Because when I hold that cup in my hand and that bread in my other hand, I am reminded I didn't win this battle. God did. I could have never won that battle. God did. And when I remember, it breaks the pride in me. And that's how we're going to end the series today. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that in these next moments, you'll be glorified in our lives by your grace and by your power. We lift you up as we remember. Amen.